another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream Hi, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing times. The things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, I'd like to remind my audience this show is one man's opinion. Your opinion may differ, you're entitled to it, and your opinion is welcome. Either on the blog in the form of comments, or in the form, or an email sent to me at jack at the survivalpodcast.com. One day this show may be a two-way voice form where people can actually call in live. Uh, that won't be happening anytime soon, because at least for now, I am still broadcasting from my personal mobile studio during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco. Texas. Today is Tuesday, December 2nd. This is episode 102, and it is a beautiful 44-degree morning in Dallas-Fort Worth. And those summer days of 101, 102, 103 seem so far behind us. But guess what, folks? Kind of tying in today's theme, which is uh, just kind of pulling it all together. What does a well-prepared modern survivalist household look like? What is his plan? What has he gotten done? What's going on? Uh, One of the things we're going to talk about today, like we do a lot around here, is gardening. And uh, today, sitting next to me in my car is uh, a Rubbermaid tub. I'm not sure how big this is. This may be uh, 16 quarts or larger. It's it's fairly large. i got a picture of it. I'll try to get posted. Full of Hatch New Mexican peppers uh, that I just picked this morning. On my way uh, out of the house, I went in the backyard and picked these things. Uh, I actually am going to give these away to people at work, kind of spread the uh, resistance is fertile motto uh, that we're starting to chant around here, uh, that you can create freedom through growing your own food. And I do that just by example, just by giving these things away. Um, But this is December 2nd. It's 44 degrees outside. I'm picking Hatch New Mexican chili peppers. And my plants have blossoms. Now, I don't know if they're going to be able to produce any more before a good killing frost comes in. But, you know, anybody tells you peppers won't grow in the cold, doesn't know peppers. They won't grow to maturity in the cold. They have a hard time when they're little getting big in the cold. But once they're big, the cold is actually beautiful for them. These things kicked in. And, you know, this is just part of being a modern survivalist is being able to provide sustenance not only for yourself, but to be an influence to those around you through something simple like, you know, I'll go into the office, I'll send an email to everybody, say, hey, there's a big tub of peppers in the uh, kitchen. Come get you some if you want some first come, first serve. Uh, They were growing in my backyard. That's all there'll be to this, guys. Uh, It doesn't really need to be more than that. It'll start conversations. You know, how are you growing these things this late in the year, that type of thing. And, uh, you know, that's just part of survival philosophy is being able to influence others positively uh, so that, you know, if the shit does hit the fan, maybe we're not having to beat everybody off the stick. Maybe we're more in a spirit of cooperation in our own communities. Uh, That would be my hope anyway. A little house cleaning before we go on to today's subject. Uh, Listener appreciation contest last week. uh, Over 200 entries. Chris No won the uh, standard um, gun safe, in-vehicle gun safe. I said yesterday I still not heard back from him. 
Uh, everybody else that won the silver bar, the two tactical stockings got back to me right away last week. Chris did not. I don't know if spam filtering is killing him. I don't know if he went away on uh, vacation and didn't come back, but his time is almost up. Chris No will have until I publish this show sometime today around 10, 10, 30, when I will pick a new winner uh, at number 60 in the response queue, and we'll send that out. So most likely we're going to be handing out a new winner today, and then the folks over at Center of Mass will ship out that, uh, that standard key lock in-car gun safe to the new winner. On that note, we will be giving away another gun safe on Friday. We will also be giving away uh, a couple more of the tactical stockings on Friday from SOE Tactical Gear, and we'll be giving away at least one uh, single point sling uh, from SOE Tactical Gear as well this Friday. So Friday will be another big prize day. Mark your calendars, boys and girls. Tune in. Good stuff to win. Uh, next thing, somebody on the forum uh, calls himself Chris. Chris, if you're if you had to be Chris, no man, get a hold of you know. I guess it's going to be too late by the time you hear this, but uh, this guy uh, took exception to my comments about DDT. One thing he said that's actually true is I said yesterday Monsanto invented DDT. I don't think I said that. I may have given that impression. Monsanto did not invent DDT. They were one of about 15 companies to manufacture it heavily uh, from the uh, 50s all the way up till uh, 1972 when it was banned. And uh, so that is true. Uh, my point with Monsanto was they were quickly, they were quickly became the leading manufacturer. They uh, manufactured more of it than the uh, top three other producers combined. And they were the ones that beat the drum the loudest, resisting the ban that finally came. And what this gentleman also said on the forum is that DDT is safe for humans. I asked him if he'd drink a glass of it. He said he knew about a college professor that drank a teaspoon of it. Chris, dude, if you're listening to me, I want to know if you'll drink a glass of it. I don't care if some dweeb somewhere in UCLA drank a spoon of it. Will you man up and drink a glass of it? I really hope you don't. I'm just trying to make a point here. Um, research shows that DDT is still in people's systems today. Hasn't been sprayed. And then there's some derivatives of it, uh, DDE and something else that is it breaks down. Uh, so I wanted to clear that up. I also want to point out DDT is some bad stuff, folks. Uh, it nearly wiped out several species of birds. And when you do anything that starts wiping out entire parts of the biosphere, uh, you get problems. Uh, you can say DDD saves lives in malaria-stricken worlds if you want to, but I think it would eventually make the problem worse. We found out with all insecticides over time, the more you spray, the more you develop bugs that are resistant to it. And you end up with a super bug that's even harder to kill, and the problem eventually becomes worse. So that cleans that up. So let's move on to today's subject, which is pulling it all together as a modern survivalist. What does a modern survivalist look like? What does this household look like? I think it would not surprise anybody that I would start with food. And when I talk to you guys about storing food in the past, I've talked about different options, how to store food, different ways to preserve food, things like that. I'm not really going to talk about that today because I get too much ground to cover to get into specifics, but what I have said in the past that as far as what you can buy in the store, right, from your local grocery store to store that makes up the core is beans, rice, and pastas. That those three together form a core of nutrition that is uh, very useful 
and very versatile. People that say they don't like rice and beans probably probably haven't tried them made enough different ways. There's no limit to what you can do, you know, with rice from simple things like fried rice to, you know, if you're growing some peppers in the backyard and you happen to have some beef, rice, beef, one can of tomato sauce, stuff some peppers with that, and uh, then roast them in uh, tomato sauce. And it can be either tomato sauce from a can or tomato sauce from tomatoes in your garden. That's a pretty nice way to eat rice, stretches your beef usage, different things like that. The reason I'm getting on this is because we have a credo, which is eat what you store and store what you eat. So instead of you know going to Mountain House or one of these other big suppliers and buying a one-year supply of freeze-dried food that you would prefer to never eat, buy stuff that you would like to eat anyway. And then your first goal is to get to one week. I'm talking, if you're starting from zero, you want one week of reserve food. Your second goal, you get to two weeks. You get to two weeks, your goals get to a month. You get to a month, you've kind of grown up in the world. You, you, once you've done a month, you start to convince yourself that this is all really possible. Just one month of food will do that. And as you're doing these things, you need to be documenting them. You need to be recording. Okay, well, what if I say I have a month of food, well, exactly what makes up my month's supply so that I know when I pull something out of it that at bare minimum, my next trip to the store, I have to replace that item and hopefully continue to build from there. Because now your goal is to get to 90 days. Okay? Now, that is not the ultimate goal. There's, there's a longer goal than that I'll talk about in a second, but I'll tell you what. If you got 90 days of reserves, you can get through 90% or more of what is likely to occur, from personal disaster to national disaster. All right, 90 days is a lot of food, and if you have to leave, taking much more than that with you when you leave may be very difficult. Now, if you have a well-executed plan, you have the right type of vehicles and equipment, you may be able to take more. But to me, 90 days is an awful lot of food to go mobile with. So it's a real milestone. And once you have 90 days worth of food, it may be time to really start expanding what you're doing into some other areas that you maybe were not doing concurrently and put a little less effort on the food, continue to build a supply. Now, my belief is that you should get to six months. Six months, a true six-month supply of food. If everything was cut off, if somebody came and took a, a giant machine and dug a moat around your house and lined it like the old siege days and you couldn't get out, you couldn't leave, under any circumstances, you could honestly live for six months on that food supply. Now, here's the beauty of that. If you're following the credo of store what you eat and eat what you store, odds are you'll be eating other fresh things that you're purchasing from your, hopefully, instead of from your grocery store, your local farmer's market and things like that, fresh meats and things like that that you would not be purchasing in a shit-hit-the-fan survival scenario. So your six months reserve should actually be rotated about once a year, even if you're drawing from it. Because you might draw some pasta and some tomato sauce out to make up some spaghetti and meatballs with maybe a side uh, of some bread or something like that, or a salad. But in a true shit at the fan scenario, you may not have the salad, or at least all the things on the salad. You may not have some of the cheeses. You may not have some of the meat. Right, So you would actually be eating more of your preps per day when you're using it for survival than when you're drawing from it to allow for rotation. So six months of real, and I mean a real, you do the math, you sit down and figure out what a serving is. If I have to ration this stuff and I have to make it last six months and I have to feed everybody in this house, including the dogs and the cats, 
if you don't ration their food, you know, if you have to start feeding them scraps or whatever, how long will I be able to go in this house? You get six months. I guarantee you it's going to be hard for you to do much better than one year of a full rotation. So I think that is a good milestone. Now, if you want to put up a year, if you want to put up two years, God bless you, go do it. Six months is kind of my personal, hey, with the other things that we can do, six months will take us through just about anything. And then the other thing is, as I've said before, I have this kind of uh, long-term bug-out plan where I have a second home up in Arkansas I plan on moving to, and I'm trying to minimize how much crap I'm going to have to take up there when I finally pull the plug and go a year or so from now. Uh, So more than six months is just a bit too much. But six months, that'll get you really firmly established. Now, a concurrent thing that I think you should be doing while you're starting to stock food is begin some sort of gardening, some sort of food production. I'm not going to talk too much about gardening. I've done plenty about it. Rest assured, I'm going to do plenty more about it. It's, uh, It's one of the few things that I believe we can really do. If you didn't hear yesterday's show on Monsanto and what they're doing to our food supply, that'll motivate you. Go listen to it. Watch the two videos I posted from yesterday's show, uh, The World According to Monsanto and the Future of Food. If you watch that, it doesn't scare you. If it doesn't motivate you, check your pulse. That's all I can say. But the big reason to be producing food from a survivalist standpoint is it, again, stretches your storage capacity. So let's say you've reached a point where you have 90 days worth of reserves, but at the same time you're starting to bring in fresh vegetables from the garden. Now you might have four, five, six months of stretching that you can do with your own production. It doesn't take that long. It usually takes about a season to the second season to really get your beds going and producing well if you stick with organic methods. Please do. Use compost. If you have to use fertilizers, use organic fertilizers. If you have to use any kind of pest control, use organic methods. If you do that, your long-term production will soar. You might sacrifice your first year. Depending on when you're listening to this, if you're listening to this relatively soon after it's publishing, um, this is winter time. This is a great time to start preparing beds for the spring. I suggest you do that if you're not in a place where the ground is already frozen. It's a really great time to start prepping your beds. There's a three-part series at the sh- at the uh, the blog, the survivalpodcast.com. Winter is for gardening, part one, two, and three. If you want to find them easy, just use my search box, type in winter is for gardening. All three episodes will come right up for you. Listen to them in order. They'll help you put together a plan to get up and going in the winter. The other thing that you can do now is either begin growing in a greenhouse, which I'm doing for the first time this year, at least the first time in a very long time. It's been quite productive for me already as I've given you some progress reports. I've even got pole beans uh, going in the greenhouse, a little bean tower in the back of it, uh, hanging from the roof with the plants being trained up. As they get about halfway up, I'll take a picture of it and you guys can see how it's going. Um, So greenhouse production in the winter. And then there's also some you know smaller things like greens and all you can either grow in a sunny window box in your house or you can get your hold of some growth lights. Any of these investments individually are not that huge. You can set up a couple good raised beds for under a hundred bucks, even if you're talking about buying your first year's worth of plants, which depending on when you're planting might be a better way for you to go your first season if you haven't had your soil really worked up well yet. Okay, because the plants are better established by a professional breeder, that type of thing. Don't try to get too creative in your first year. By your second year, you're starting to build up layers of compost. You can start to be putting 
putting more, more down. So now we've got a household where we've got a, you know 90 days to six months worth of food stored up. All right, we've got a plan to keep that storage capacity in place. We've got outside production of food in the form of gardening. Your next step is highly up to you. Um, one of the things I think you should start considering right away is you're putting your gardens in is planting some type of either fruit trees or shrubs or something. Some of your dwarf fruit trees will begin to produce in three to five years. It sounds like a long time, but that just means that if you didn't do it already, now's the time. But a lot of your bushes, like blackberries, uh, strawberries, and things like that, produce in their first or second season. Uh, and they're a very permanent piece of your agriculture. They're part of permaculture. So you should be planting some long-term and short-term repetitive perennial crops like strawberries, asparagus, uh, uh, you know, maybe some nut trees, fruit trees, uh, blackberries, blueberries, whatever grows in your area at the same time as part of your agricultural plants. But now we have to start thinking about something, and this may be a first step for some of you as well. A lot of you, it's not a step because you're already there, and that's I do believe that proper survival planning in any nation where you're allowed to own firearms includes owning at least a basic uh, accompaniment of firearms so that if something really goes wrong and people start looting, you can protect what you have. Or if you need to move, you can get yourself to where you need to go with some level of protection. And people talk about, well, you can protect yourself other ways. Nothing is on par with a good gun. Um, I'm not going to say a lot about that again today because I just have too much ground to cover. But, you know, your, your first gun, if you're, you don't own a gun at all, a decent shotgun will do so much. It's so versatile. It's, it's hard to argue with making not making that your first gun. 20-gauge um, or 12-gauge pump. Uh, you can buy, If you're you know, short on cash, you can buy used Remington 870s, Mossberg, used Winchester pumps, uh, a whole different variety. And they're all good, solid guns. And you can pick one up for well under 200 bucks if you shop around. So that is something I definitely think that everybody should do to make sure they have good, solid ways to protect and keep what you have. You probably definitely want to invest at least in some basic training with firearms, even if you know basic firearm safety and all, about how to use them in tactical response situations. Uh, that's that's really important. So that you know, just because you have a gun doesn't mean you know how to defend your home with it. It doesn't mean you know when you legally can. It's important, and I can't do, again, a deep analysis on that, but that's something you want to kind of put on your checklist today. This is a good show to be making notes with and determine how far along am I in the process. Some basic training on tactical use of your firearms. The next gun I would look at getting is a 22 rifle. Uh, again, versatility, small game hunting, things like that. Now, if you live in the middle of the city and you plan to bug in in the middle of a city and you're not going to be able to do any small game hunting, then maybe you're looking at going to your pistol as your next purchase. I think everybody should have a good solid handgun and a good center file rifle. That that four gun group will do just about anything anybody really needs to do. If you live in the city and you know you cannot um, be discharging a 22, you may want to consider a 22 anyway with something like uh, you know the 22 uh, CB caps uh, that are very quiet on discharge or a good pellet rifle. Uh, you might be surprised what you'd be willing to eat if you really had to extend uh, your uh, your food supply and you could find critters that are edible in the city and I'll leave it at that. And a uh, pellet gun is really a good safe way and generally speaking a legal way to harvest them, at least from the discharge standpoint. You're not going to be charged with discharging a firearm uh, if you pop a pigeon or a dove in your backyard or a squirrel or a rabbit or what have you. So, you know, 
that's all I'm going to say on firearms today. I know there are people out there that make, you know, having a main battle rifle and a full tactical setup and everything a big part of your survival planning. If you want to do that, God bless you. Go do it. I think it's your right. And I think we all have to make independent decisions about what we do. And, and good for you for taking that step. And my only caveat is make sure that before you're worried about how much different tactical gear you need to defend, what you have, that you have something to defend. If, it, you know, Because I know guys that they call themselves survivalists, and they have AR-15s, you know, and they have web gear, and they have all this equipment. You go, well, how much food do you guys really have? They don't have crap. You know, and it's like, well, you're going to defend your home, but there's nothing there. After two weeks, you're going to be running around with that gun trying to take food from somebody else. Or you're going to starve. Those are going to be your two choices. So make sure you're doing the practical things along with defensive things. I think the next thing that you really need to look at is having some good quality first aid equipment and first aid gear. Um, if you're stranded, if you're stuck, or if something just happens to happen to you or a family member, you're going to need to be able to apply at least basic first aid until first responders get there. And you might want to really build kind of an advanced medical kit um, because you could could be in a situation where first responders simply can't get to you either for a long time or possibly ever at all. So really put some planning into your medical uh, supplies that you keep around. And if somebody in your household is in the medical field, it's probably a good idea to kind of put them in charge of that. And that's kind of my next scenario, or next thing I need to kind of get out to you guys is everybody in your household should know if something really bad happens, what their roles are, what that they can be responsible for, what they can do, what they can take care of, and what they will be expected to take care of. And everybody should know what everybody else is supposed to do, and all of this should be documented in a basic, simple notebook. Don't rely on a computer. Computers crash, power goes out, hard drives you know go down, people steal data. Um, it's important important to have that stuff written in a journal. Probably having it duplicated is not a bad idea. Keeping it in a vehicle. This is not bank account numbers. This is not personal information. This is where you go, how you get there. If you want to use some level of code uh, in that so that people can't follow you, if you're that kind of paranoid person, that's fine. And it may actually be a good idea in certain scenarios. You may have something simple as evacuation routes A, B, C, and D. And then people may know what those evacuation routes routes are, uh, just simply uh, a procedure for which ones are implemented at which times. You may want to keep maps in vehicles uh, so that people uh, that may be stranded with a vehicle can pick up on an evacuation route and go there. But my point is everybody should know what they're supposed to do and everybody should know what everybody else is supposed to do because I hate to put it to you this way, but any one of your family members or yourself could die tomorrow. Right now I could be driving down the highway, and this is not you know paranoid stuff. I could be driving down the highway, and I'm sitting here looking at a giant concrete truck off to my right right now. That guy could be behind me instead of alongside of me doing 80 miles an hour, lose his brakes, and wipe me out. And that could just happen to anybody. And if you're gone or if somebody else is gone, whatever their role is, somebody needs to step in and fill it. Or some ones need to step in and fill it. If you're part of a group or you have a fairly large family, you can distribute those responsibilities among each other. If you're single, this is actually easier because you only have to take care of yourself. But odds are most people that are of a mindset now to really be thinking about this actually care about somebody else. Generally, people that only care about themselves aren't too worried about this stuff. They just think they're going to be Robin Hood or Rambo and run off in the woods. They don't really make the practical preparation. So if you listen to my show, you probably have other people you care about. Which brings me to a very practical part of preparation. 
something that sounds real boring and you don't really hear about it in survival forms or survival discussions. Freaking life insurance, people. You should have on every member of a family with an income, right, at least enough life insurance to pay off your debt. Pay off your, if you have a mortgage, credit card, car payment, whatever, and you should adjust your life insurance to pay off your debt and then have, put you in the ground at least, all right? Cover your funeral expenses. I hate to be morbid, but this is just reality. That's why the product was invented in the first place. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not an insurance advisor, but my opinion is term is the way to go. Uh, invest in uh, you know something like 20-year term. By the time you're 20 years into paying your life insurance, you should have that. Uh, once you're old enough to be responsible enough to have life insurance to think that way, 20 years is plenty of time to become debt-free. If you have any belief whatsoever in the validity of a whole life insurance policy, I will tell you I think they are garbage. And simply do this. If you're going to insure yourself for a quarter million dollars, let's say, uh, get a price on 20-year term and get a price on whole life. If you think you could pay the price on whole life, by the 20-year term, and understand for the next 20 years, you have the same exact coverage. If you die in that 20-year period, your beneficiary gets the 250000 There is no difference between the two products that way. The, the, the whole life will build a cash value right? that can be accessed after it's paid off or, or what have you, or in retirement. And I'll give you all these other ways that will work out. Look at the cash value, how it accumulates. Now do something boring. Take the variance. If it's uh, $50 a month for the term and $100 a month for the uh, whole life and figure out if you put $50 a month into CDs and ING Direct making 3 to 4% interest for 20 years, how much money would you have in flat cash that you could just do whatever you want with with no consequences without affecting your insurance policy whatsoever? And then make your own decision. I think you'll come to the right one. Uh, but that's a very old technique. Uh, it's what term life insurance uh, salespeople use to sell you term life. Not necessarily that their term life is the best, but the procedure is probably the best one that I know of. Uh, so I know that life insurance is probably not really exciting, but folks, if you don't have it, man, you got to cover your debt. You got to cover your debt. You got to cover some time off for your spouse or your family to grieve your kids. If your key, you should have something on your kids too. I mean, you don't need to have a lot of life insurance on t- children because they're not bringing in money. They're actually costing money in most situations. So not a breadwinner, but I mean, if something happens to your son or your daughter, you're going to be devastated. You're going to want to be able to take probably at least a month from work. Some people go right back, but most are going to take at least a month. You're probably going to need to invest in some counseling. Couples that have a a death of a child have massively high divorce rates. And if you guys, if you, any of you guys listen to me, if you ever are so stricken with, with, with fate that you lose a child, you know, and you want to save what's left to your family, get into counseling immediately. And I mean immediately. I mean, while, while you're taking care of the horrific part of making funeral arrangements, be making counseling arrangements. You got to go. You got to do it because uh, your survival as a family has just taken a major blow that many couples absolutely never recover from. And I, I believe the divorce rate is up in the 80 percentile of, of couples that lose a child. Which is, even for our high divorce rates in the United States, just massive. Absolutely massive. So, you know, ensure your children, I guess is my point too, enough to uh, take care of funeral arrangements and enough to take care of some counseling and some time off. You, you've got to do that. It's, that is part of modern survival planning. Uh, moving on to things that maybe are a little bit uh, more cheerful. You want to ensure yourself of a good supply of water. And this could be as simple as storing up some jugs of water or some barrel.
barrels of water or things like that. Uh, if you own a pool, you're lucky. And people say, well, I really don't want to drink the water on my pool. If you have to, you can. You might have to boil it or, or what have you, but you can drink the water from your pool. Uh, just like you can drink any water source. If you have an above-ground pool, I believe it's actually better for water storage because unless you have a really high flood, your, your, your pool water is not likely to become contaminated by groundwater. I'm not a big believer that in situations other than a flood where sewage backs up into the water supply, that our water supply is generally in that big of a state of threat. Uh, let's see the electrical grid go down first, and then, you know, I don't know if you've ever been through a blackout, but generally, unless the electrical grid was completely down, where pumping stations are down and their backup generators have run out, you've got water pressure, and hell, you even have dial tone to a landline phone. So it's one of the last things you need to worry about, in my opinion, uh, having, you know, six months worth of water. That's hard to do anyway just because of volume. Uh, but if you have a pool, again, just things like using it for bathing and taking a shower and uh, flushing toilets if uh, the sewage system is still working will stretch your water supply a long way. Water is probably the most important component, but it's the one thing that you can generally, again, unless you're in a flood-prone situation, it's, it's, it's about as reliable as anything you can get from a services standpoint. Ideal situation, you'd have a deep well. And if it's pumped with an electric pump, you'd have either solar redundancy for it or you'd have some kind of a mechanical actuator to pump it. Uh, we have almost that in Arkansas. We don't have a solar backup or a mechanical actuator, but I plan on acquiring one. We have a well. Uh, it's about 600 feet deep. If uh, if that well ever runs dry, that water's been flowing for 50 million years. It's the same water that runs down into the town of Hot, Hot Springs uh, and, and you know is, is superheated by the time it gets there and fuels the bathhouses that have been there for hundreds of years. Um, if that's ever gone, I think we've got bigger problems. That means there's, we've probably evaporated all the water off the face of the planet. Uh, but water is something you need to address. You need to figure out what makes the most sense for you. Some good rain barrels, great idea. Inexpensive, quick, easy. Uh, downspouts on the roof, you'd be amazed at how much one uh, rainstorm you can collect water from. You, you, if you had one rain barrel collecting off of an average roof, you're going to overfill it even with a very moderate amount of rain and again that may not be water you could drink but you can flush a toilet with it you can wash your hands with it uh, you can use it for some level of bathing and you can use it to water plants so it's all good things to be doing Another thing you really need to be doing along the way is addressing debt. Uh, if you go to my blog and you click on Modern Survival Philosophy, and that's at the survivalpodcast.com, of course, um, you will see uh, that one of my tenets of Modern Survival Philosophy is that debt is financial cancer. It is a silent, hidden killer. We have a massive recession. It was just announced yesterday that, duh, we've been in a recession for a year. The geniuses with their computers finally admitted it, and the stock market tumbled 700 points, almost 690 or something like that, as though something had changed. That's where the Dow just gets stupid after a while. All right, well, if we've been in a recession for a year, why is the market going to crash when we admit it? That means that we're right in the middle of what we've been doing the entire time, but yet that's what happened. But when you look at what's caused this, it's a combination of subprime lending, uh, falling housing market, falling commodities markets, and a crash of the derivatives market where people were basically making bets on other people's debt. But the common denominator in all of it is debt. If there was no debt, there would be no problem. 
And the solution that the idiots up there, Bernanke and uh, uh, Paulson and uh, even you know, President-elect Obama and all these guys are considering and doing and actually you know, implementing, is more debt. They're trying to solve a debt problem by creating more debt. And uh, it's like, I, a lot of people maybe have never seen one of these things. But down in Florida, when I was there as a child, we had these things that we called antlions or doodlebugs. And you'd go someplace where the soil was really fine and powdery, kind of sandy, and uh, you'd see these little pock marks. They would be about, oh, an inch, two inches in diameter, depending on how big the doodlebug or antlion was. And uh, it would just look like a little cone shape in the soil. And what these guys did is they killed ants. And a little ant would happen along and walk along the edge of this little, it looked like a crater, like a little mini lunar crater. And when he walked along the edge, he would trickle a little bit of dirt down in the hole. And the ant lion would actually spit a ball of dirt and dust at the ant. Boom! And would knock him off the ledge. And he would fall into that cone and he would start struggling. And th- what the ant could not fathom is if he stopped struggling and very slowly just walked and endured being hit in the back with the dirt from the antlion, now that it wasn't a surprise anymore, most ants could probably walk right out of the hole. But instead they panicked. They started moving their little legs as fast as they could, and that dirt would just cave and cave and cave, and the antlion would just start bam, 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 pegging him, pegging him with more and more dirt. And sooner or later the ant would fall into the center of the hole, and the antlion would grab him and pull him underground and kill him. That's how debt works. And when you try to solve a debt problem with more debt, all you're doing is you're being that little ant, and not an ant in a good way like we talk about being an ant, not a grasshopper. You're being that panicking ant, and you're freaking out, and you're running as fast as you can, and the ant lion, the banker, is just pummeling you with more credit card offers. And eventually you end up enslaved for the rest of your life. And you're 69 years old drawing Social Security, and you still have credit card debt, and you still have home debt, and you still have consumer debt, and you still have a car payment. And that's we have retiring people that are in that situation today. Car payments, house payments. They should be debt-free at that point in their life. If sooner, but by then, my God, they should be debt-free. you got 70 years almost of their lives. 50 years of working. You can't get debt-free? I'm sorry, the average home mortgage should be 30 years at the most. Right? So just paying a base mortgage payment for 30 years, your house should have been paid for. If you're not moving every 10 years to the next, or every 2 years to the next new McMansion in your, you know, your, your, your plan. Um, so you've really got to address the debt issue. And, you know, I don't know of a better way than what they call the debt snowball. Dave Ramsey's made this famous. He did not originate it. Uh, he just marketed the hell out of it. But real quick, debt snowball goes like this. I have three debts. One's $1,000, one's $5,000, one's $10,000. Uh, no matter what the interest rates are, I don't care if the $10,000 debt has an interest rate of 16%, the $1,000 debt has an interest rate of 5%, I get every extra dime I can to pay my debts, and I pay on the 1000 and when the thousand's paid off, I take all the money I was paying on the thousand and I lump it on top of the five thousand dollar debt. And when the five thousand dollar debt is paid off, I take all the money and I lump it on top of the ten thousand dollar debt. And when I get out of debt, I never go back in. I've learned my lesson, and I have to sacrifice and I have to eat some of those rice and beans that I said that we don't really eat until we have to. Well, maybe part of your shit hitting the fan is realizing how bad the shit has hit the fan with your debt, and you use some prep mentality, not draw from your 
preps, but eat some of those low-cost preparations as a main course once in a while. Uh, eat from your garden. Do, you know, Find family activities. Don't involve going out and spending money. Don't make shopping a pastime until you get out of the debt. And when you sacrifice that way, when you get out of the debt, you'll look at it and you won't care what any. You'll be like your grandmother. You know, American Express or Discover Card or Visa or MasterCard could have sent your grandmother a thousand letters, one a day for three and a half years. Dear Grandma, you have qualified for $25,000 in credit card. And uh, 2% interest for the first six months. Uh, no payments for 90 days. Whatever. $1,000 bonus on your first $5,000 in purchases. Whatever. You know what? Your grandmother would have thrown them where they belong in the compost heap. Fed them to the worms. By the time you kill debt, if you put yourself into that kind of debt, you'll understand that that's what it is. You'll be like, you know, the best the best people in the world at taking care of their health are people that had a heart attack. Right? Once they've had a heart attack or cancer patients that, that survive, you know, they eat well, they take care of their body, they exercise because now they take it seriously. And I mean it, that is financial cancer. And when you fight your way out of that hole, when you become a calm ant and you diligently, slowly walk up the hill and you take the blows on the back that come because you put yourself in the freaking hole, no one did it to you. You don't need a bailout. You need to get yourself out. Once you do that, you'll have a stronger, more stable family and a stronger, more stable survival mentality. So you wipe out that debt. If you do those things that I've talked about today, and there's more, and we'll talk about them, and maybe I'll do a part two of this show tomorrow because I think there's, I could do a whole another 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes just on these types of things uh, just to get people that are new or get people that are in the process to evaluate their place, uh, where they're at today. Uh, there's at least 30 more minutes of material there. Uh, but I kind of want to wrap up with that because if you do those things, you know, you eliminate your debt and you have a plan to eliminate the debt that you have uh, if you can't just do it over night, if you have 90 days to six months worth of food stored up, if you're producing some of your own food, if you have the people that create income in your, your household insured, at least for the amount of the debt that you're carrying, and enough to take care of them so that they can uh, kind of make it through the grieving process, you have your children insured, you know your different ways to get the hell out of Dodge, you know the roles that different people have in your household, you have a good supply of water. You have medical supplies and medical first aid knowledge developed within your your household so that you can take care of each other if somebody gets hurt or injured or sick. And you're prepared to stay put for six months if you have to. And you're prepared to get everything packed up and leave if you have to. You are so far ahead of the average person that you've truly become an ant. You're not a grasshopper anymore. So that's kind of, you know, that's your baseline. That's where your your goal is. And I think that anybody that really wants to can get pretty much there in a year. Now, if you have a lot of debt and you want to do these other things concurrently, you probably or might not be debt-free at the end of a year. If you sacrifice some of these other areas, if you feel that you can do that right now, your income is strong, you can probably be debt-free and then you can catch up to the other things faster. It's up to you how you do these things. I can't tell you this is exactly what you need to do. This is what's right for your life. You are the captain of your own ship, the ship that is your life. And if you're not on board with your plan, it won't happen. That's why 90% of New Year's resolutions fail, because the people that make them, they're really not on board with them. They're really, they don't have a plan. I'm going to lose weight. Well, how are you going to lose weight? I'm going to go on a diet. What diet? I don't know. I'm going to eat less. Okay, great. So that means you're going to live your life the way you always have. You're going to do without for about two weeks. 
people are going to be like, why the hell am I doing this? It ain't worth it, and you're going to quit, and you're going to fail. Right? I'm going to get out of debt next year. How are you going to do it? I don't know. I'm just going to pay extra on my bills. I'm going to try to work harder, make more money. All right, so you don't have a plan. So uh, it gets hard, and you see something shiny, and you decide you'd rather have it than have eliminated debt. you got to have a plan. So if I tell you what your plan is, if I say everybody has this one-size-fits-all plan for their survival, for their financial, for their insurance, then it's my plan, and it's not your plan, and you won't do it. And for folks that are married, which is the majority of my audience from what I've seen, you have to talk to your spouse about these things. And if they're not real open to it, have them listen. I did a show called Getting Your Spouse On Board. Go to the site. Search for Getting Your Spouse On Board. Or just search for spouse at my site. You'll find the episode really easily. And have your spouse listen to that episode. I think it'll be very compelling. It'll open their eyes to the threats that are out there and and why you're doing this. It's not so you can have a new Glock, right? It's because you care and you want to make sure the family survives no matter what happens. You want to make sure that you have a better life no matter what happens. If times get tougher, even if they don't. So you've got to get your spouse on board. They have to be part of the plan. One spouse cannot write the plan in the absence of the other spouse. Because they won't be on board. They won't participate. And a single person in a marriage walking a trail alone will fail. They'll either damage the marriage or the plan won't work. Or both. And most likely it will be both. So you've got to talk to your spouse and get them on board with these things. I hope this has been an enlightening episode for you. And uh, I really appreciate my audience. I appreciate all the feedback. Please get involved with our forum at the survivalpodcast.com slash forum. Remember, we're going to be giving away more prizes on Friday. Uh, those of you who won prizes in the past, we didn't get them shipped out till this weekend. If you haven't received your tactical stocking jet or other goodies, uh, they are on the way. Also, please participate in stockings for soldiers this year. I will link to it from here, but we are sending stuff to folks out in Afghanistan on the tip of the spear. Viper Company. And you can see a letter I wrote to their XO uh, when we sent our care package, which was, uh, i give you an idea of how much stuff we sent. It was over uh, $90 to ship it. Uh, so we went all out. We went to Costco. We loaded up a box. I near broke my back, put it in the truck. Uh, so if we can do that much, you guys can do a little. And remember, uh, we'd like you to participate in cooperation with SOE Tactical Gear. Stuff one of those tactical stockings, send them off to a soldier. If you can't do that and send stuff, just send stuff. All right? Take care of the soldiers first. The stockings are an extra little tidbit. If you win one, really consider making it a donation. Fill it up and send it over to those guys. Details again are at the site. Just click on stockings for soldiers. Again, this has been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream, and you can holler, it really doesn't matter. Get spent